Hello, everyone. I am your alcoholic joke teller for the evening. And I have a joke, obviously. Otherwise, what am I doing up here? Okay, let's get to it. A crab walks into a bar and says, I'll have a pint, please. But if I'm not satisfied with it, I'd like to be compensated with 10 bottles of champagne. The bartender says, why the big claws? It's a crab. And it, thank you. <laughs> All right. Unfortunately, I missed that because I was having mic issues, but here I am again. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mark. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step series tonight. If everybody's ready, the monk music is going to come on and we're going to start the meditation. I'll see you in two minutes. Thank you. 
Okay, in this meeting we use the fog light prayer. We're gonna we're gonna do that prayer first. If, if you guys don't know it, it's up on the projector screen. So I'll lead. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light. So those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. <clears throat> we have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked John to come up here and read Spiritual Experience from Appendix 2. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what a spiritual experience is. Here's John. I'm John, an alcoholic. This right here, right? Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped in an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify 
with their own perception of a power greater than themselves. <clears throat> Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honesty facing this problem in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, John. All right, during the meeting, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode, meeting mode, vibrate, or just turn them off. So we're right in the midst of a 12-step series. Our normal speaker, Pat, uh, is, is off tonight, so we're taking a little break. So we, tonight we have a special guest speaker. Um, his name is Robert M. He drove down here from Martin County, Florida. Uh, I've known him a few years, been acquainted with him a few years uh, over time. I see him at functions. I see him at conferences. I know he does the. I see him more than anything probably on Facebook and post, posting recovery stuff. I know he's in the work. I know he's in. The, he, he sponsors people. Uh, he, he's got a lot of years, and it's not so much years. It's 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 years doing the deal. I mean, you can have a lot of absent absent years. I know that this. I'm excited to hear what he has to say tonight, and I am going to leave it at that. Robert's going to come up here and talk to you guys for the next hour. Here's Robert. I'd like to do my very short version of the set-aside prayer. Please, God, set aside everything I think I know. Amen. Um, I think that's pretty explicit. And one more thing. Got these little cards made up. They work real good for me. I'm putting them everywhere. More God, less Robert. More God, less Robert. More God, less Robert. Hi, everybody. I'm a real alcoholic, and my name is Robert. And uh, let me take this off. I forgot I had it on. I'm trying to be polite, man. Trying to. Wait a minute, Mike. Did I really mess it up? No, okay. I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body based on the work that was read here, the information. You know? um, I want to thank Mike for asking me to come down. I forgot that Mike actually had heard me uh, speak one time before because I thought, wow, Mike, I, I didn't know that he had. And I'm thinking, well, that's taking a chance, you know, because it's alcoholics and God. How does a guy even know I believe in God? You know what I mean? I do. I didn't when I got here. Um, our book says we describe in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. That's the stories in the back. That's what they're referring to. In chapter, in the third forward, it says, recovery begins every day when one alcoholic shares with another alcoholic his experience, strength, and hope. And what I'm going to try to do tonight is more or less do my experience, strength, and hope. My experience with the steps, you know, my strength that I got from it, 
and the hope that I have today. Now, I had a sponsor one time that told me, hope is not a plan, okay? And I kind of believe that today. You know, um, I, uh, my sobriety date, for those of you keeping check, we can get the mathematics stuff out of the way early. I'll be 66 in December. My sobriety date is November 16, 1984. That's not my first sobriety date. Hopefully it's my last sobriety date. Um, I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in February of 1969. So uh, I spent a, some time when I was young because I was in a lot of trouble and uh, got moved around. My father was going to Alcoholics Anonymous. My mom was going to Al-Anon. They were sending me to Alatine. My mom thought it would be a really great idea if I went to the Alatine meeting with the kid in the car that had a car. I was 13. He was 16. And my mom goes, well, I said, you know, and I'm going to tell you, some people that know me really well know I'm not an introverted person today by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, then I didn't want to be around people, talk to people, do anything with people. I wanted nothing to do with anything. And she goes, well, he's got a Corvette. I went, well, in that case, I could ride to the Alateen meeting in a Corvette and look cool when I get out. That might make some better things happen in my life or whatever. You know, my mom doesn't really understand cars or whatever. And the guy came up and he had a Corvair. Now, I've got to tell you, if you don't know much about cars, there's a huge difference between a Corvette and a Corvair in 1969. You know, I was feeling really uncool. But the guy goes... Uh, he goes, uh, you know how to roll one? And I didn't, but I said, yes, I did. And, uh, and then he pulled out a bottle of Mad Dog 2020. And uh, we did a little of that on the way there. And uh, he knew how to act in the Alatine meeting when he was under the influence. I did not. And the Al-Anon chaperone was polite enough to, to put me in the big meeting room, the AA meeting room. And I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but they had red jelly donuts. And I was really hungry all of a sudden. You know what I mean? So I had a couple of those. The guy said, kid, take it easy on the donuts. There's other people here, you know. Um, and that was it. That was my first exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous. I would, uh, I would creep back in and out to get out of trouble, you know, when it was convenient. My mom dragged me to hear some speakers. My dad dragged me to hear some speakers. We were living in Southern California. There were some people, and none of them that are with us anymore, were the speakers that I got to hear that some people refer to today as these great old-fashioned circuit speakers. At the time, I was not impressed at all. They took me to see a guy named Chuck C. He was this old white-haired guy talking about love. I go, this guy knows nothing about love. I don't think he's seen love in a while. You know what I mean? That, that was the way I, I looked at everything. And uh, I went to college when I was uh, 18. I didn't plan on going, but I went and because uh, 40-hour work weeks weren't looking so good, and my friends were all going down to San Diego to go to school. So I went down there. I saw the beach, the surf, and the dorms were right on the water, literally on the water. You didn't have to cross a public road to get to the beach. And I go, yeah, I'll go to school here. I played ball a little bit. I did a few things. But that's where the reins were off. My father had finally gotten sober in 72. That was 1974. I, you know, 
This is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I have the most utmost respect because it saved my father's life, it saved my mother's life, and it saved my brother's lives. It's also saved my life. But I told you, we moved to California from Florida in 1968, so 68, 70, early 80s. You know, I did some other stuff, and I couldn't get away with the drinking at home when once my dad started in AA, you know, because now my mom, you know, only needed one sniffer test. You know, she'd check my dad, and then it would be check me, you know, and I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I found other avenues for a while that were entertaining, but once I got to college, I liked the keggers, I liked the drinking, you know, my buddy used to say, I went to a small Christian college, a very nice, wonderful college, beautiful people. Um, They meant well. I didn't. Um, That's the truth of the matter. Um, By my senior year, they'd had enough, and uh, they asked me not to come back for uh, for the spring quarter. So with 11 weeks to go, I failed to graduate from college. Um, I got, you know, what the book calls the number one offender. I got a little bit of a resentment. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't particularly care for those people. It was, 19, it was the spring of 1978. And this is my demise. You know, I'd been drinking now in the morning. You know, I had found the morning drink my sophomore year. The guy had told me, he goes, hey, have a, have, have, you need the hair of the dog. And I didn't know what that meant, you know. But I knew that it worked. And I go, this is how people do it. This is how you start the day. Wow. Just like we did before the meeting started. We washed our problems away in a couple of minutes. You know, I was able to face everything. I was able to do everything. That's what happened in my life. It's 1978. By... Within 18 months, I had gotten into a lot of trouble with a lot of people. You know, I'm not going to tell all the crazy stories because by this time, I'm a blackout drinker. But I have some problems, you know. And uh, I'm getting involved with the wrong people doing the wrong things in the wrong places. And it's catching up with me fast. Um, I... uh, I'm sitting there, and I don't know what to do, you know. So I, 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 I go on a run that lasts about six months. And I had to hide, and uh, I went to northwest Missouri is where I went. I knew a, a friend of mine knew a guy that went to school with us a few years before, lived out in, the, I mean, literally the middle of nowhere. It was 45 minutes just to, to get to a flashing light. That's how far out in the country we were. So I kind of felt safe. By that fall, I went back, and uh, in 1979, five years before I got sober, and, you know, I think that's important, that, you know, a lot of times, you know, when I'm working with people, I tell them, just look at the last five years, you know, and in the last five years, at the beginning of the last five years, I'm underneath the Ocean Beach Pier in San Diego, California, okay, I can't start drinking. I have, um, but it says in the book, I'm already beyond human aid. I can't stop. I'm urinating myself. I'm 23 years old. Uh, I'm a mess. I, all I got is the clothes on my back. You know, I'm panhandling and stealing and 
Those are the things I'm doing. And I can see the college that I went to when you look south from the pier. You know, and I'd huddle up under there at night and I was afraid to go in the restrooms even in the daytime. I, was, I got a paranoia level that was unbelievable. Um, I, went, I went back up to the Los Angeles area right for my grandmother's birthday, I used to say. This was the woman that took me in when I ran away when I was younger. And uh, I went to uh, stay with her for a couple of days till I, she had to ask me to leave because I thought the end table in the living room was the bathroom. And, uh, you know, that doesn't go over big, you know, uh, especially when you leave and don't clean it up, you know. Um, so I'm on the streets there, and uh, it's Christmas Eve day, and my dad being a recovered alcoholic, he knows where to look for me. So he comes and he finds me, and he says, look, my mom was trying to get sober then. My mom had spent six years in Al-Anon, then six years slipping and sliding before she got sober. I, uh, that's me growing up. None of this makes me alcoholic. All of it's just how I gained a perception of how things were. You know, I got this perception that everybody was against me. Nothing was going my way. You know what I mean? I'm a victim, you know. And my dad picked me up and he said, look, Go to a meeting with me tonight. My dad always went to a meeting on Christmas Eve. He goes, go to a meeting with me tonight. You can come home. I'll work it out with your mother. I'll take the heat. Because she said, no, I was banned from the property. You know what I mean? It was, that's how it gets. Some of you know. Maybe some of you never were. Um, I'm banned from the property at that time by my mother. And uh, she goes... She, she finds out, you know, there wasn't cell phones and you didn't call and check in and do whatever. I mean, you know, thank God there was a lack of technology then. If Facebook had been around, I wouldn't have made it past my freshman year in college. I know that. But, and I sit here and I go, okay, and my dad takes me to hear this speaker. And a guy my dad really likes. The guy's 17 years sober then. And his name's, uh, he's dead now, but Bob Earl was his name. And if you've ever listened to Bob Earl, and it's a talk called Vulture on a Bedpost. Um, Bob kept me out of Alcoholics Anonymous for almost five years. Because Bob said everything I was thinking that night. I'm thinking, how does this guy know? He's talking about the voices in his head. He's talking about the victimization. He's talking about what things look like. And I'm going, there's no way my dad could have told him all that because my dad doesn't know. You know, because um, I'm thinking it's all still a conspiracy. They set this whole thing up on Christmas Eve for me and AA. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a little selfish or self-centered by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I don't go. I find a, a, a hostage and I take it. And, you know, I think it was reciprocal. And because uh, last July was 41 years. We're still married. So, uh, you know... Uh, both of us are victims, There's a, and we're both volunteers, you know, so we have a lot of good laughs. But, you know, she saw the last four and a half years of my drinking, and it was not pretty. It was bad. You know, I got the job, and I did the things, and I did all that. 
you know, I worked my way out of that hole that I was in, you know, coming from being homeless to, she didn't know I'd been homeless. You know, she didn't know that until after I got sober. She thought I was working for my dad's recording studio at the time when I met her. Because I probably lied a little bit, you know, from time to time. Stretched the truth, my grandmother used to say. He's a truth stretcher, that one. And my other grandmother used to go, trouble? That kid runs halfway to meet it. You know what I mean? It was like I never ran away. So all that being said, it's, it's five years later. And I say that because in Bill's story, which I could never identify with, I tell you in the beginning, until I really studied the book with people that knew. In Bill's story, he talks about 1929. And Bill gets sober in 1934. Like I said, we get the math out of the way. You know, five years. Five years before Bill gets sober, he's going to uh, Montreal, and he blows up the job there. He comes back. He's got to live in the, his in-law's home. I lived in my in-law's home twice, once drunk, once sober. Um, I didn't do too good in the early sobriety either. And, uh, you know, he, he just, you know, five years before he got here. I loved years later. Uh, my dad was a devout fan of Chuck. See, and when I read his stuff and, 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 and listen to his CDs, you know, he talks about when his wife put the, the article from the uh, Saturday Evening Post in 1941 on the arm of the chair. And he read it and dismissed it. You know, in 1946, he got sober five years. You know, um, I always challenge guys I'm working with to look back five years. You know, so it's, now it's 1984. It's been five years. She can't, she's like up to here. I mean, she's, she's bobbing up and down to get air, you know. She had a great, uh, great professional career, great singer, songwriter, musician. Um, and I pulled all that down in four years. Ruined the five-star credit rating, everything, you know, so, I like to, my sponsor, I talk about this all the time, self-seeking self. And I have to find that in sobriety today, you know, because that happens all the time for a guy like me. So I'm sitting there and I go, what am I going to do? And my father comes to visit. And he comes and he leaves. He has to go to something in New York. We were living in northeast Pennsylvania at the time. That's where I got sober. And he, uh, he left. And my wife has a... Uh, this little meeting card. You know, he, he left in early May and it was Memorial Day weekend was coming. I had to take her to her father's and she goes, look, I'm going home Memorial Day weekend if you don't do something about your drinking. And up pops this meeting card. And I'm thinking, where did she get that from? not realizing my father, by this time being sober 12, 12 years in AA, he was a smart guy. When he came to town, he didn't come to my house first. My dad went to an AA meeting. You know what I mean? He probably got a, a couple of local phone numbers even, knowing my dad, just in case. I mean, my dad was doing due diligence. You know what I mean? Make, making a couple friends, doing whatever, go to a meeting, then come see me. We went to dinner. That was it. He was, he was gone the next morning. My, uh, I said, okay, so Thursday before Memorial Day weekend, my wife goes, 
you don't go to a meeting, I'm going back to my mother's. I go, okay, we'll go to a meeting. She pops out the list. I see when it's Thursday night. It's a, they have a BA hospital in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And I go, we'll go to that meeting because I know that I can leave and the other people can't, that they bring out the patients. So once she sees that I'm not that bad, I don't have paper slippers on, um, we'll be good. So I'm sitting there and I go, Psh, no problem. We go there and this guy talks and he's going on and on. The first guy, I didn't understand a word he said. I was still pretty out of it. You know, I'd snuck a couple that day, but it was, it was a rough day. And the second guy gets up and he does this, he does this 28 and a half minute drunk log You know, I mean, his cousin was a mask killer and da 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 and, and all this. And I'm just going, wow, this guy's crazy. And then he goes, the only thing, I've been here three and a half years. And he goes, the only thing I know about Alcoholics Anonymous is if I don't take the first drink, I can't get drunk. And he sat down. That was his sober pitch. That was it. You know, and I went, Puh. And, you know, only problem was I'm over at the elevator. My wife's going, they, they circled up for the Lord. See, my wife didn't know I'd been to how many meetings I'd been to. I knew they were circling up to do that Lord's Prayer thing. I'm out the door over at the elevator because I wanted to come up to the seventh floor as fast as possible. And she goes, don't you want to get some literature or something? I go, no, no, I'm good. I've seen it all before. You know, and I'm over there at the elevator door waiting to go down. And, uh, you know, I promised her. I said, look, I won't drink. I'll take you up to your family for the Memorial Day weekend. We'll go to the cookout. We'll do all the stuff. We do. I come back. First time I ever hid my drinking. I get up there. My father-in-law goes, oh, God, she told me you're not drinking. He goes, you know, your problem is you don't know how to drink. He goes, you have a beer upstairs. You come down the basement. He showed me where he hit a bottle of VO. So I go, oh, okay. So, you know, my father-in-law is going to teach me how to drink. And so I go, okay. That, that worked good that weekend. She didn't pay attention. She hung around her mother. We made it back home that Monday. Um, from that Tuesday until the 4th of July, she didn't see me take a drink. Now, when I went down to work and did stuff, I drank just enough to, to keep the wolves at bay, you know, to, to stop the shaking and do whatever. It was definitely maintenance drinking. Um, there was no enjoying. There was no controlling. You know, I'd overshoot the mark, but I'd stay late at work until I was good enough, come home, you know, do that deal. My dad comes back to visit in August. He comes with his new RV, going to stay for for, uh, for three days, parked out front. We lived up in the mountains on 20-some acres, a nice place. Everything looks good on the outside. My dad makes it one night. That's it. Gets in the RV the next day and leaves. Um, my wife leaves two days later. She's, um, I can't tell you a lot of drinking stories because I might have failed to mention at the beginning, I'm a blackout drinker. Okay, I don't remember a lot. You know what I mean? I, I know now that the guys that told me these stories in college, they probably weren't lying. It's probably the truth. You know what I mean? Um, I don't remember. I thought I had a couple drinks and everybody had a good time. That's how I perceived it. I really did, you know? And uh, 
My wife, here's how bad the drinking was at the end of August of 1984. She was gone for eight days. I didn't know she was gone until she got back. That's the God's honest truth. To this day, I don't remember anything about those eight days. And she had the only car that we owned at the time. Well, I think the bank still owned part of it. But um, So, it's 1984. Going to get sober, finally. Thank God. You know, I hate sitting in a meeting where the people are sitting there wishing you'd get sober more than their family would. You know, um, I go, I, I go, it's August. I mean, it's the end of August. I have a bad, I have a really bad Labor Day weekend. I, it rolls. Here's how bad it is. Here's how bad Labor Day weekend is. Uh, Labor Day, I think, was the 10th, so it would have been, I think, the 3rd that year, the 3rd of, so September 1st was uh, like the Friday. Okay. I started that Friday. My wife had come back somewhere in the end of August. I started that Friday, and uh, the Tuesday morning on September 11th, I thought it was the Tuesday after Labor Day. That was an entire week again after Labor Day. Okay? Um, my wife, I get up. My wife, Remember the boom boxes? A big old thing with one cassette player in the middle? She hid one behind the couch. Okay, and she goes, I recorded you last night. Listen to this. It sounds like somebody possessed by the devil. You know, I'm going, where did you get that? Who is that? She goes, that's you yelling at me. I go, nah, it don't sound like me. You know, uh, who else was over? You know what I mean? I'm trying to make excuses, you know, and... Uh, you know, that was that, and I woke up the next morning, you know, and I went uh, I went back to bed, and I woke up later that day, I should say. And I slid out of the bed, and I don't remember at that moment if I said, God, I can't live like this anymore, or if I just said, I can't live like this anymore. But I remember the I can't live like this part anymore, you know. And at the time, I didn't know I was making a surrender, because I, I slid out of the bed onto my knees when that happened. And I had quit doing business with God back in college because, you know, that one girl, the, the special girl got away or whatever it was. And, you know, I was done, you know. I slid out of bed, you know. And the reason you slide out of bed like that is because it's got the peas in it. Pee, urine, poop, perspiration, puke. You know, it's, you know, you're wondering... I don't know why she's not sleeping with Mr. Wonderful anymore. You know what I mean? She's out on a couch because you can't sleep in that bed. You know what I mean? And I get up and I got this growth on my face because I'm afraid I'm going to commit suicide with a Bic razor or something. You know, um, there's liver bile coming up. There's other stuff, a little bleeding, you know. And uh, I go in there and I go, where's that meeting card at? And she goes, what? And I go, I'm going to go to AA. Now, this is the first time I ever said I wanted to go to AA. And I go down there and I meet Jimmy. Jimmy's at the meeting and there's no beginner's meeting. So I'm there and my wife gets whisked up to Al-Anon and it's all over. And uh, Jimmy gets whisked up. I mean, my wife gets whisked up by this lady, Barbara, who really was an angel. Because my sobriety countdown ended right then. 
My wife became focused on what her part in the deal was. This woman was excellent because her husband couldn't stay sober. She actually had to work the 12 steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in order for her not to lose her sanity. So she was a great find for my wife. And uh, I... uh, I go in there and I'm realizing there's no beginner's meeting at 7 o'clock. The speaker meeting's at 8.30. And I go, I can get out of here. Now, this was a really big, they could put about 400 people in this room. It's one of those old up north churches. And all of a sudden, this guy that was all the way in the front is sitting across from me. I didn't even see him get to me. I never saw him come across the room. And he goes, hi, I'm Jimmy. I'm an alcoholic. You're new, aren't you? And I thought, how does the guy know I'm new? You know, might have been a little bit of the dry puke that was still on my shirt from that morning. Uh, I broke a shoelace and I made one out of bread ties for my shoes. Um, I was a Boy Scout, you know, I learned how to improvise. No MacGyver, but, and I'm sitting there and I go, okay. And this guy gives me this 25 minute pitch like I'm doing now about his drinking and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I'm going, yeah, hmm. And he goes, and then I got thrown out of the Salvation Army on Christmas Eve. And he got me because he said Christmas Eve. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, I uh, sat down on the stage and I drank a bottle of Windex. I thought it was alcohol. I go, wow, you really do need AA, pal. But Jimmy did something no one else had ever done in all the meetings I'd been to. Jimmy took the same meeting card that my dad had. He had one in his pocket. Jimmy wrote his full name on the back, his telephone number, and circled the meeting he was going to be at the next day. And he said, this is where I'll be tomorrow. And he stood it across the wall. Didn't ask me, do you want to drink, not drink, stay sober, not stay sober, looking for permanent sobriety, day at a time. None of that stuff. This is what he does. So I think he, he thinks I don't know where West Pittston is, so I go to the meeting to show him I know where the place is. You know? And he introduces me to Pizza Joe, his sponsor, and Charlie C., and all these other guys. And that was in September, and I told you Mr. Bride DBH November 16th, because suddenly happened to me. It's in the book. I, I, I suddenly, you know, I was in a bar 65 days later ordered a double screwdriver, make it two, you won't be back fast enough. The bartender said, are you sure? And I said, no, but do it anyway. And uh, I made it back, and I got to my home group the next night. And I knew I was done, because two drinks blacked out. Seven hours later, I find my way home. I know the jig's up. I'd been going to those meetings right when they started for 65 days, and I left. I really was trying not to talk to anybody get too involved, because I know what happens when you do. They get you. And so I uh, was over there, and Charlie goes, hey, kid. He goes, i got to ask you a question. And I go, how do you know I drank, Charlie? Because he said something before, to me before I even did it. He goes, I go, Charlie, how would you know I drank? And Charlie goes, here's how I know. I've been watching you. Because it was a small area, I mean, compared to, down, to here. It was more like Martin County. 
30 years ago, and you knew people when they were new. You know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't take a program to figure out who was, who was the new guy in the room. And he goes, you know, the last couple of weeks you've been looking people in the eyes and you've been smiling and you've been saying hello and a little bit. And, and you know, and uh, tonight you came in looking at everybody's shoes again. <sighs> Terrible poker player. So I go, okay. He goes, are you done? And I go, I want to be done, Charlie. I really do. And he goes, well, I've got to ask you one question. I go, what's that, Charlie? He goes, and he was an old Sicilian guy, so he whispers, so you got to lean in. You know what I mean? They, they got that way of doing it to you. And he goes, kid, you ever drink when you didn't want to? And I went, all the time. And he goes, welcome to the club. You're a real alcoholic. The next day, they stick Sailor John on me. Sailor John meets me at the Dana Street Clinic because that's like the VA meeting. You go there, those people don't get to leave. You do with a few of the people that are there. So I feel better. And then I dressed up a little bit. I had the white linen jacket on and uh, the khakis like this, but I had loafers with no, no socks. It was the Don Johnson thing was going on then. You know, it was 84 and trying to be, like, really cool, you know, because, you know, you get that cool in AA, you'll freeze to death. And, uh, you, and I'm sitting there, and this guy, John, won't let me go. And it's snowing, and it's getting in my shoes. And I'm like, God, did this guy ever let me go? And he says, I want you to do something. He goes, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to read page 30 and 31 up to the words you can't pronounce and don't know what it means. Okay, genius. Sailor John, you know what I mean? And, uh, he, and I said, okay, I'll do it. He goes, I want you to do it for a week. I want you to be the last thing you do before you go to bed and the first thing you do when you get up. Because, see, these guys were smart. They had Robert figured out. Robert's not going to do God, you know what I mean? Robert's not doing God. Robert's whatever. And he goes... So I read this, and, I, and that's what I did for the longest time. And I know a lot of people think, oh, Robert, he don't own a big book, or, you know, he don't know what's in the big book, or whatever, you know, because they don't always see me with it. But I'll read from my favorite page here. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a great line in here, okay? It says, the idea that he will somehow... And someday he will control and enjoy his drinking as the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. And what I found out was three and a half years later, because that's all I did for three and a half years, I read those pages. Because John never came back the following Saturday. He got shipped out of Virginia Beach somewhere, sailor. He's still in the Navy, I guess. And uh, that's why they called him. So, yeah, I had no idea what they called They called everybody as nicknames. You know, I don't know what that means, you know. I know a lot of their names ended in vowels, and I thought I'm getting involved with the wrong people again. But you never know. Sorry if there's anyone here whose name ends in a vowel. No, nothing intended. So, you know, we're at the top of the hour. That's good. And... Uh, all I like to do is talk about this. At three years, seven months, two weeks, and two days, I had, within a few days of that, I'd fully conceded to my innermost self I'm an alcoholic. 
I know I'm a real alcoholic, like it says in the book of the hopeless variety. I'd never read it, but I knew it. But I knew those pages by heart. I knew everything on that was like my story. I didn't need to read the stories in the back. These are my, that's my story. It's on two pages. This guy has me pegged. And I go, oh, God. I made the money, and I went back to L.A., and we were having a great time. And, you know, and then my wife, the earthquake's calm, and my wife's not happy, and she wants to go back by her mother again. And, you know, it's 3,000 miles away, and I'm starting to realize AA ain't the same, you know. And I'm like, oh, God. I'm going to all these great speaker meetings, hearing the greatest speakers in the world. On the weeknights, I'm hearing the people you go pay to hear on the weekends. Okay? That's the kind of meetings I was going to during the weekdays, you know? And I, I got the good job, and I, and I got the iron, and I'm, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, um, I think. Because I see you with cars and houses and money and girls and nice clothes and all that, and I'm thinking... That's happiness. That's success. Nobody's pushing anything at me. Nobody. I got a sponsor kind of in name only because he's got a sponsor that's kind of in name only. But that guy was a really good guy. And here's what happens. At three and a half years sober, I don't drink because I know I'm a real alcoholic. I know I can't drink. I can't do the other stuff. And it's across the street. I know right where it is. And the drinking ain't no farther than wherever it brought me in from my car. You know, I can go that far to a liquor store. Okay? I want to unpack. It would take me about two hours to unpack the truck that I had packed to get to the handgun I had hidden in a box. See, that's what untreated alcoholism looks like. That's why, for me, this is it now. This is a personal statement, okay? Please, if you're offended, I'm sorry about that or whatever. It says in the book that even the most honest, you know, the desire to stop drinking won't work. It says that. I think it's page 24. It says that, you know? And that's why I sometimes have a problem with the third tradition. Because if you're a real alcoholic, a desire is just not going to be enough. You know, I was fully conceited. I was in. I'm real. I can't do this. But suicide is not off the table. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't talk about this for years, you know, because I was embarrassed by it. But, you know, you never know who's sitting in a room. If you're new or not quite through or you're just coming back, welcome. Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the real deal here. And what happened is my sponsor came over and he, was, and he goes, I go, I'm a phony, I'm a fake. Because people said, that Robert, he's a great AA. Because I knew about my dad was looked good in AA. So what I did when I went to the meetings, I got there early, left late. We smoked then still. I cleaned up ashtrays. I put the chairs up. I put the chairs down. I did everything. And everybody saw me. You know, I thought I was of service. You know what I mean? I was helping out. That's what I was doing. Because I wanted to look good so you would like me. Because I still have this problem. Okay? So I'm sitting there and I go, Okay. What are we going to do? And he goes, is it painful enough yet? And I said, yes. And I had another surrender. I said, I don't know that there's one surrender, not for me. Okay? And I had the second surrender, I call it. And he goes, why don't you try it our way? That's what it looked like, you know? 
I, I found I just on a on a lighter note, I go you know I go to bookstores and I I found an old second edition big book. Okay, and it had a 1968 100 dollar bill inside it. The Al-Anon must have hid the money in the big book. Forgot it went to it. Nobody ever opened it. Oh, alcoholics still had the cover on it. Everything pristine. The binding wasn't broken on it. Not never been read. You know. So I, I, I like that prize catch. But anyway, back to where we were. More God, less Robert. So uh, I got to remember that. I keep the card right here. Then I, I don't forget. So what happens? 36 hours later, I'm sitting with an eight-step list. Okay? Because I'm one of those people, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, it doesn't matter. But I'm one of those people who, you know, you, you come around here long enough and you sit around and you sit around and you sit around. You know what the deal is. Okay? I couldn't get past the hyphen. That was my problem. I thought I could still manage. Okay? I believed in a power... I believed in the power of money. That's what I believed in. You know what I mean? Decision, you know, and here, here was my smart aleck remark. When you're standing in a parking lot with the other new guys that aren't doing anything, this goes over big if you want one, guys. If, if, if you're out there, huh, no major decisions in the first year. How to avoid step three. You know, I made a decision. Looks pretty major to me, Will and Lloyd. <laughs> Looks major. You know, I'm not telling nobody nothing. You know, I don't believe in that guy anyway. No, what, I would never write it down on paper that somebody could find. You know what I mean? It's my money. I'm not giving you back your money. You know what I mean? I'll make a list of people who hurt me, you know, and the rest of it, you know, I'll work you, you know, at the bottom. That's Robert's program of action for recovery up to that point. I was blessed. I went back to Pennsylvania. A guy that had gone out drinking while I was there and got sober had come back. His name was the late, great Frank Slavinsky. Frank took me through the book because in 36 hours, I couldn't go through the book. I just did what I was told to do. Myron said, you can't manage your own life, right? Are you willing to believe in something bigger than you? And I go, yeah, Don took me down to the water about three months ago and said, stop the high tide from crossing this line. I get the whole power, you know, something great, the universe, whatever. Okay, I'm willing that much, willing. Oh, that's all you need, Psh, mustard seed, boom. In we go, you know. Now, third step prayer. He goes, get down on your knees. We're going to say the third step prayer. I said, I told you I don't pray. He said, I didn't say we were going to pray the third step prayer. I said, we were going to say it. You know, he read it out of the book. He says, you don't know how to pray. Then he goes, stop writing. Start writing. I mean, start writing. And I go, start writing? What do you mean? I go, I, I heard these people. They take like months to write their fourth step. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, you're going to give me 10 names right now. That's all I want, 10 names. That's all I need. I go, what do you mean? He goes, the grudge list. And now I know why he had me do it. Because at the top of that page, it says we haven't really done the third step until we start the fourth step. Without that action, it's not complete. 
So if you don't start writing right after you say the third step prayer, you may be falling behind. I'm just saying. Personal opinion, but I read it out of the book that way. And then he goes, you can put my name at the top. You know what I mean? It's like, I think I will. You know what I mean? And that was that, you know? And, and, and what I did is I learned how to do the fourth step. I learned the mechanics, cause, effects, where I'm wrong, what I'm afraid of, some problems with sex, still problems with sex, but that don't matter. So, you know, and so I go, okay, fine. So I do this. What I know today is that the four steps open-ended. It never ends, okay? What I learned were the tools how to do it. Why did I need to share this with somebody else? If God knows, why does somebody else need to know? What an amazing feat. Guess what I'm going to be doing pretty soon? I'm going to be talking to other people because I'm going to be making amends. What a novel concept. That's what happens. So I'm sitting there, and, and you know, in, in a few hours, I'm riding in the back of the RV at 60 miles an hour, and uh, my dad's driving, and we're in there, and the guy's listening to my BS, and I go, okay, this and that, and blah, 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 blah. And, okay, six and seven step. Okay. My God, these people in the praying stuff, you know. I already said I was willing. I got to be more willing. What's more willing? You know what I mean? What's more willing than being to be willing? You know? And uh, then he said, you know, it says we have our list here. You know? He goes, you don't have a list, an eight-step list. You have this list of people. He goes, I don't see Wells Fargo in there. I go, it wasn't Wells Fargo. It was Bank of America, pal. You know what I mean? And so uh, I'm sitting there, and I do all that stuff. And I go, Okay. You know, and then I met, you know, I got this list. And what amazingly thing was, is as I'm driving across the country by myself in this truck a few days later, I got this yellow notepad. And on the top, this is not in the book. It's just how it was done with me. It said harms, and the other column had a dollar sign. I had to list everybody I owed money to as I thought of them and everybody I'd harmed. And that list has been never-ending. Okay. But I learned those mechanics. Where? In the fourth step. So I start to do the amends thing. You know, I finally get my dad. You know, he knows exactly how much it is. You know, he was a genius. He had it written down in a little book. You know what I mean? And uh, I took care of what I had to take care of. I wound up sober in my mother-in-law's basement about four months after that because where I went didn't work out. You know, um... And I met a guy there in Massachusetts named, and he's gone to Jerry Belcastro. And Jerry went to these, uh, they're kind of like rogue meetings, I guess. You know, uh, if you hadn't worked a step, you couldn't talk about it. You know, they went around the room. It was 200 guys in the church basement. The testosterone was pretty high. Um, I learned more about the book. Then I went to a Joe and Charlie thing, and I learned a little history, and I learned a little bit more about the book, you know. And uh, I was real slow on 10, 11, and 12. I really was, because I really thought, if I get the money stuff out of the way, then I'll be happy. You know, because Robert's always looking for happy. Robert's looking for instant gratification. Self, 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 self. Trapped in self. All the time. So, I don't want to be trapped in self. I'm self-seeking self. I'm doing all this stuff. 
Finally, I'm working for a guy. He, he really helps me with 10th step. I move into the 11th step. I'm thinking 10th step, 11th step. And I go, you know, at night when I go home tonight, I'm going to do these few things. You know, and in the morning when I get up, I'm really going to do these things? Okay. During the day, I'm actually going to pause when agitated to start. And I go, oh, that's why you do the 10th step. Because I, I used to go, I used to go. The most important word in the ten step is when, you know. Because when I'm wrong, you know, like that time will ever come along, you know. Um, promptly admit it, you know. And I realized, man, if you take that action during the day when it happens, it really frees up the evening. You know what I mean? It really frees up my evenings. Twelve. I have this really like you read tonight. I have this garden variety experience. You know what I mean? I have this, this basic thing. That's it. You know? What message do I carry to these guys? Well, for me, it says practice these principles. You read them tonight, what I believe it. I know some people say, I'm watching the clock, there's 12, there's 24, there's 36, there's 48 hike principles. I don't know. In the back, it said there's three things that are indispensable that have carried me for almost 37 years. It's willingness, honesty, open-mindedness. It's not how to stay sober, it's who stays sober. That's what I believe today. I really do. That if I use those three things in that order, I can combat the one thing that still challenges me every day, and that's fear. A friend of mine says it great. He goes, ain't nothing like sober fear, man. You know, and I go, I get it. You know what I mean? Why is the word bracketed? You know? Fear makes self so, get so dominated by self. So I take and I look at these steps, and if I work them backwards, I get the same results. doesn't matter which way I go. You know, once I've done them, now I go backwards because I'm helping somebody out. We're down to the end of the meeting, and uh, I want to thank Mike again for asking me to come up. And I, uh, I uh, heard a uh, speaker tape after I got sober and it was funny because I'm lazy and it was the, some of you don't know what cassette tapes are, I understand, but you had to rewind them. Okay. And I picked up three of them. There were six of them in the box and the, and the third one was rewound. So that's the one I played. God is my witness. The speaker from when I was 13 years old, because he talked 400 miles an hour. His name was Norm A. He was from Monrovia, California. He was a friend of my dad's, I found out years later. And Norm said this, and I, I mean it because I understand it to be true in my life today all these years later. So I like to close with this when I close. Everything I know in my life today is cut from the same cloth. The big loads go to the big horses, and the little loads go to a guy named Robert. It's a long walk from the Ocean Beach Pier to where I stand tonight. But without you... God, Alcoholics Anonymous, this book and the 12 steps, I would have missed it all. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Robert. That was a powerful message. Can we thank Robert one more time, please, everyone? We have a guest speaker, a guest chairperson, and we also have a guest secretary. So she is going to come up here and do the secretary.
Hi, my name is Chelsea and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I've asked um, David to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. I'm David, I'm an alcoholic. We are not cured of, alcohol, of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body, page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forties style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and ne neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Um, I'd ask to see a show of hand of all you recovered alcoholics. And anyone needing a sponsor tonight, or period, uh, please raise your hand. Um, all right, is anyone celebrating a year or more this month? All right, please join us Monday night's Big Book Study meeting where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30 and Big Book Study starts at 7.15. This is, we have some like announcements. This is the Broward County Intergroup. That's where you go to get literature, um, right? Yeah, literature and like medallions stuff. Um, is open now on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. I believe it's at the 12 step house, right? Um, volunteer opportunities for the Florida State Convention. It's going to be in Fort Lauderdale on Saturday, October 23rd. And is any does anybody do Broward Institution Committee? You can get with those two people after the meeting, but it's where they take meetings into institutions and rehab, rehabs and jails where they can't get out to get a meeting. And they do that on the second Saturday at the 12-step house every month. Um, Sunday, October 24th from 11 to 4 is a Broward County Intergroup picnic. Um at the Snyder Park. Is that it? All right. We have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, and little red book, uh, and big book dictionaries for sale um, in the back. We meet every Thursdays.
starting promptly at 7.15 p.m., and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bell. See you next week. All right. Thank you, Secretary. All right, as she said earlier, we have tonight's session and all speaker podcast sessions online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Also, again, I'd like to invite everybody to our Monday night big book study. We have it on the third floor of this building. We start setting up at 530. We start fellowshipping at 630. The actual meeting starts at 715. We go through the big book line by line. It actually comes alive right in front of us. It's, it's pretty it's pretty cool to witness um, uh, those who wish to speak or to thank Robert you can line up down the center aisle he'll be up front you can thank him for coming down here and speaking to us tonight that concludes our meeting we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer our Father It doesn't matter
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
now growing vines They twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time Outside my door Never before I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. The fog is lifted, see the light, count my blessings when I go to sleep at night, and I dream now. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?